Lord God, thank you that you are a God who is close to the brokenhearted. You come near to us when we are crushed in spirit. And we think of those around the world who are brokenhearted right now. We think particularly of the, those in New Zealand who are affected by these mosque shootings. We pray for your comfort, for them to know your nearness to their, them and their brokenheartedness. We pray for those in Mozambique and Zimbabwe and Malawi affected by this cyclone, hundreds of thousands. We pray for them to know your nearness and love, your provision through your people, your church. We pray you provide for the physical needs. For those in our country who are affected by flooding or fearful or lost ones or, or uh, beloved things to this these floods, we pray for them to know your closeness and nearness to the brokenhearted. And for those in our community today, in this room, who are brokenhearted, may we know your nearness and loving power and powerful love. Use us to be ones who extend that love as well. Give us ears to hear now as we look to your scripture. Bless Kent, our brother, as he shares it. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. A little backdrop. Uh, King Saul has died in a big battle with his son, Jonathan. And King David, the shepherd boy, has now struggled to take over leadership and truly rule as this new king. And the old guard, those loyal to Saul, uh, continue to fight against David to try to take over the kingdom as David was taking reign. I mean, this is like the real Game of Thrones. I mean, seriously, like the brutality and the violence of the ancient world in which the new king would literally wipe out the bloodline of the other king to make sure there was no error. And if you read 2 Samuel chapter 1 through 5, it's an ugly, gruesome story of killing and murder and power But tucked into 2 Samuel, in the midst of all this killing and murder and deceit and wrestling for power and brutal brutal violence, is probably one of the coolest stories. I read this last year, and it had been years since I'd ever heard of this, uh, this story of the picture of a picture of grace that is unbelievable. Let me read 2 Samuel 9, 2 through 10 and verse 13. David, oh... Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. This is Samuel 9, starting with verse 2. The king asked, Is there anyone still alive in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Micar, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Micar, son of Emil. And when when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that Mephibosheth may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. David asks a very normal question for a king. Is there anybody left in Saul's household in his line? Because as a new king, you wanted to make sure to destroy and put down any potential threat or or rebellion. Find the other descendants of the former king and put them to death. But David's question is so different. David does something so unkingly, so preposterous. King David wants to show kindness, not violence. David asks, is there anyone in the line, still alive, that I can show kindness to? King Saul and his son Jonathan had been killed in this big battle some year or so before. And David thought the whole family line had been wiped out. But Ziba said there was someone, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. But he's a cripple. David remembers a promise he made to one of his best friends, Jonathan. A little backstory. David is fleeing from jealous King Saul, who wanted to take him out after he killed David, after David killed Goliath. And David's running for his life, and his best friend Jonathan finds him. And he says to David as he's hiding, Hey, my father, I know he wants to kill you, and believe me, this is not a trick, David. I'm here because I love you as a friend. You're my best friend. And I want to help you because I believe God has chosen you to be king. But promise me, if you make it, will you please not do to me what every other king does and seek retaliation on my whole family line? Uh, You can read about it in Samuel chapter 20. But show me unfailing kindness, a chesed, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. This is Jonathan talking with David. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. This word, hesed, kindness. David asks, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Jonathan makes a covenant and says, "Uh, please show kindness to me. Hebrew scholars say that the word chesed, which is a Hebrew word, which we translate as kindness, is actually a much more difficult word to understand than we just put it in our English language. Chesed is a quality that moves someone to act for the benefit of someone else without considering what's in it for me. It's a very relational word. It's often translated loving kindness. In fact, it's a, God uses this word. 
The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, Exodus 34, abounding in hased, loving kindness, and faithfulness, maintaining hased, loving kindness, to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's used over 280 times in the Old Testament. It sounds a lot like a New Testament word, a Jesus word, grace. There's all kinds of definitions of grace. Here's one. Kindness shown to someone who does not deserve it, cannot earn it, and could never repay it. I call it profound unfairness. <laughs> it's like, hey, you, you just can't forgive that. You seen what this guy did? That's not fair. You can't just do that. I know, it's grace. Wait, 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 wait. You, you, you can't say that. I mean, that is ridiculous. If you just let them go, yeah, that, that is not fair because we were, I know, it's great. So you, wait, you're saying you're going to pay him for one hour's work the same amount we worked all day long. That is not fair. I know. It's grace. Chesed, loving kindness. David asks Ziba, is there anyone still alive in Saul's family that I might show chesed to, loving kindness to. And Zima answers, uh, there's still one, a, a son of Jonathan. Remember Jonathan, your friend? Yeah. His name is Mephibosheth. But you don't want to waste your time with him because he's crippled. And, you know, being crippled in the ancient Near East, we know, was a sign that you were cursed. So you don't want to waste time, David, looking for Mephibosheth. I mean, this is crazy. Mephibosheth, you know what it means, his name? It means from the mouth of shame. That's that kid's name. His name means shame. And David says, I want to find him. I want to find that kid who is so shamed, so hurt. The kid who is laughed at. The one who has no hope at all. I want to find him. And Ziba says, well, he's living in Lodabar. Like, no one wants to live in Lodabar, because that word means something crazy. No, low means not. Dabar means grass, no grass. <laughs> He's living in the place where there's no grass. I mean, it's just desert rocks. Like, you can't have sheep, nothing. Like, maybe there's a cactus. Nobody lives in Lodabar. I don't know why that was funny, but uh, yeah, the cactus thing. I had to remember that. But here's the truth, right? Have you ever experienced low debar? Like there's no grass, like it's dried up. What gave you hope has died or left you all alone and no one cares or it feels like no one's looking for you. That's low debar. My youth ministry class, which we just got out of, has been looking and journaling about remembering what it was like to be in junior high and high school. They've been journaling, remembering. And in my class of cool Whitworth students, who seemingly, you know, have made it, there were personal stories of Lodabar. You know, where your supposed friends in eighth grade all of a sudden one day just left the lunch table that you always sat at and left you there. Or where the kids that were supposed to be your best friends who had your back all of a sudden just dissed you and not only talked behind your back, but we get to say stuff online. In my class, there was things said 
to my students and physically bullied. I'm like beat down bullied. There were tears in my class. Left over from junior high and high school. Things said, things done. Lodabar. And living in Lodabar leaves you with a limp. We forget our name. We feel like Mephibosheth, shameful. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, says this about shame. Shame, the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. So here's Mephibosheth. Considered cursed by God, crippled, whose name means shame, living in the loneliest, most God-forsaken place, Lodabar. And David says, bring him to me. Now, you've got to imagine, you're, you're, you're Mo. That's, I, I, I'm going to call him Mo. I mean, that's just too much. You're crippled. You're living in Lodabar. And all of a sudden, you see a royal army coming in the desert. There's some dust coming towards you. And you say to yourself, well, I've lived longer than I thought I would. I didn't think the bar could get any lower than low to bar. It feels like my next destination is below the bar because I'm dead. But instead, here it is, instead of being struck down by the royal army, he's put on a royal horse. And he's taken to the king. And we read, David says this, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness, I said, for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you and all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, Hey, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm this land for him. Bring him all the crops so that Mephibosheth may be provided for. And Meshibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Woo! Uh, worship team, you guys can come up here. Um, Mephibosheth couldn't believe it. In fact, he bows down and looks at the king, and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a stray dog like me? I mean, I'm an outcast. I'm poor. I don't sing like he does. I don't live in the neighborhood. I don't get those kind of grades. They won't let me. I, I tried, but I keep getting turned down. I don't have enough money. My clothes aren't good enough. I'm, I'm worthless. I, I don't look like she does. I mean, Mephibosheth is fully expecting this to be some sort of a cruel joke. Like, you know, this moment when the, the prima donna bully makes the joke and, says, ah, and strikes the loser down. Ah, you believe that? You're not sitting at my table. And David lifts up Mephibosheth and says, I'm going to show you Hesed. I'm going to give you land, all the land that your grandfather had. I mean, you're going to get it, and these guys are going to work it for you. And so, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
I mean, Mephibosheth had no idea who he was. He was, a little, he was a little boy when his father, Jonathan, was killed. His nurse picked him up, and they ran to Lodabar. He knew he was cursed and shameful. And when he expected to die, King David reminded him of his story. He was part of a promise made a long time ago. A covenant made between two friends. You are part of a promise that was made a long time ago. A covenant made by friends. Ephesians 1 tells us, before the foundations of the earth, God chose you in him to be adopted as his sons and his daughters. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that's like the world, that he gave his only son. So Whitworth, if this morning you're ashamed of your name, if you are hearing voices in your head telling you that you are no better than a dog, if this morning you don't feel like you're worth much, shameful of some stuff you've done, you may feel like you will never get out of Lodabar. May I remind you that you are a son and a daughter to the king. You are invited to the table. Woo. There's a place for you at the king's table. And no matter what is broken, crippled in your life, even if you feel like you can't walk another step, God has sent his royal army to pick you up at a Lodabar and take you directly to the king, directly to the feast, right? I mean, that's the way... King David rolls, and he was kind of a jerk. How much more is that the way God rolls? Amen? Let's sing. Hear the benediction. Romans 5, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were enemies, crippled, lame, hiding in Lodabar, Christ died for us. Welcome to the feast. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Go in peace.